The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, It's good to be here with you guys. For some of you, it's kind of like an awkward blind date with a visiting pastor. Some of you met last year at the retreat. It's good to be with you guys again. Good to see some familiar faces that are here. We're grateful for you guys to be in here. Uh, My name is Justin Moxley, and I have the pleasure of working with a ministry that helps start churches all over North America, Central America, and even South America. And my team specifically, the team that I get to serve on, helps plant churches kind of in the United States. And with that, we've had a pretty cool opportunity to be able to see some pretty amazing stuff and seen hundreds of churches started and literally seen thousands of people come to faith along that journey. It's pretty cool. My tribe, I'm not here alone. My wife is here. She's over here, kind of my better half. We've been married for 21 years. She's a middle school teacher. She's a runner, and she's just awesome. She's right over there. She's just the awesome one that's there. My son, Zane, my son, Zane, is a sophomore at the Air Force Academy, and at this very moment, he is out doing survival training. So he's learning how to eat bugs and become a ninja. That's what he's doing right, right now. We're pretty sure that he probably won't eat for a number of days, and he gets to come home for three weeks uh, next Friday, so we're looking forward to seeing him and trying to fatten him up just a little bit. My daughter, Savannah, is going to be a senior in high school, and none of you can date her if you're in high school. None of you at all can date her. She is uh, in the Dominican Republic right now on a missions trip, and just proud dad moment for just, you know, small town here for us. This week, she was selected first team All-State in soccer. So that was pretty fun, yeah. That's pretty cool. They get all of their athletic ability from their mother, and that is a very, very good thing. So that's my tribe. Uh, I actually grew up on a small kind of ranch farm operation in the central part of Kansas. Anybody here grow up on a farm? Yeah. And for me, I had the chance every Sunday to either walk to church or ride to church. Did you have that same option? Did you grow up? Yeah, that was my choice. And every week we would go to this small church in this little community that was close. And that was kind of the center point of our life, this little bitty community of Council Grove, Kansas. We would go there for food. We would go there. They had a weekly newspaper. They typically had a grocery store. They had an implement dealership. So if we ever had things that would break down on the farm, we could go there and pick those things up and come back. And that was kind of the center point of our life and everybody else around us at that time. And it was funny growing up in that kind of that small community that every time that we would go to town, there was a simple phrase that would always be asked of us if we were not with our parents. If you were in a store or even if I was with my grandparents or whatever it would be, somebody would come up and they would say, who do you belong to? Sometimes it was said because I was supposed to be someplace that I wasn't, you know, and I was in the wrong spot and they were always wondering, hey, who, who do you belong to? But oftentimes, it was with my grandparents of where people were just wanting to know, hey, who who are your parents? Who do you belong to? Did anybody ever get that question asked of them growing up? I I can remember people pinching my cheeks, you know. 
I can remember people, as soon as you would tell them, well, I belong to these folks, they would tell you about how that you looked exactly like that person or that uncle or you acted just like them. So the question that we want to kind of resonate, kind of, a, kind of think about this morning is that question, who do you belong to? It's kind of an existential question, you know? Who do you belong to? In our crazy independent world that we live for, very few people want to belong to anybody. We want to rebel against that thought. We want to be our own person. We want to be on our own. We want to be self-contained, self-sustaining, self-made. So let me ask it in maybe a little bit different way. Who has the responsibility to care for you? To invest in you? To protect you? To help mentor you? To stick with you through thick and thin? To provide for you? To correct you? That's let you know that you're worth more to them than anything else in the world. You got anybody like that in your life? There was a man by the name of David who wrote about that, and that's the psalm that we're going to talk about and we're going to think about today. And we're going to do this. I brought a different translation of this verse than what we read today. Because sometimes it's really easy to kind of get in the rut of where you hear something of where you begin to tune it out. Have you ever done that? You ever have a parent that you've tuned out? Don't raise your hand if you're a kid. Okay, this is Father's Day, right? Oh, there's one brave soul back there. Yeah, little kids back there going, yeah, that's me. I'm in church, okay? But I wanted to read it in maybe a version that you've not heard to maybe bring it afresh to us. And here's what I'd like us to do. I would like us to read this together audibly as a group, okay? So as a group, together. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, as a group, together. Okay, we're going we're gonna to come back over that, okay? As a group together, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Verse 2, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. Verse 3, he renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, brings honor to his name. Verse 4, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Verse 5. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of mine enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. And finally, surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Have you ever heard that verse before in your life? Kind of that passage? Maybe at a funeral? Maybe at a wedding? Did you ever say it in high school before a football game or a basketball game? Did your grandparents ever give you $5 for memorizing it as a kid? This is one of the most familiar passages that, that maybe you could talk to anybody on the street and they would say, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. And for many of us here, it's kind of familiar, but it's probably not really known. Some theologians refer to Psalm 23, as, Psalm 23 as the cliff notes of the entire Bible. That, that if you understood this portion of the scriptures, if you kind of got an idea of what this was, you would get a pretty good idea of what God thinks of you. This psalm was titled the Psalm of David. And that's all we know about the historical background of this psalm. We know that David wrote it, but we don't know when he wrote it. Whether when he was a shepherd boy or when he was a king. 
We don't know if David wrote in a moment of tranquility, of, of reflection, or a season of threatening difficulty. We, we, just, we just don't know. But David starts this song or this poem out by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. If you have your notes, I'd just love for you to just grab those, maybe take a few. If you have maybe a device of where you look up this verse, I'd love for you to just be thinking about this as we go through. Or if you have a Bible, open it up. Any one of those things, just to kind of give yourself a picture of kind of what we're talking about as we go through it. The Lord is my shepherd. David picks a metaphor of sheep and shepherd to describe his relationship with God. And this metaphor would have made complete sense to the community of faith that, that was typically around the first century. And it would have made complete sense to David because David was actually a shepherd boy himself. But we probably don't know much about sheep and shepherds here today, right? By show of hands, are there any shepherds here today? Any shepherds? Love to raise your No shepherds. Any sheep? Okay, we wouldn't want sheep. Anybody that raised sheep in their life? Anybody raised sheep in your life? We raised cattle. I, I knew nothing of sheep. Anybody here that was a black sheep in their family? Go ahead, raise your hand. Okay, we got a few. This is church. You guys are confessing right here. This is good. I moved to Kansas City in 2001 from Colorado. And at that time, my kids were about five and three years old. They were just little. And we had friends from Colorado at that time that would come and visit us because they had kids that were that same age. Maybe you guys are the same position. Of where you have some special friends where their kids were that same age. And what they would do is they would come to Kansas City. And in coming to Kansas City, we then had the job of entertaining them. You ever have people that come to town you have to entertain? And so we developed kind of this tour of different places. And one of the places early on with our kids was this place called Deanna Rose Farmstead. Has anybody ever been there? Yeah. In Overland Park, Kansas, the greatest, like, petting zoo in the entire world, if I'm ranking them, you know? They had ducks, chickens, cows, pigs, goats, and sheep. They would let you fish. They would let you pet the animals. We would just have a crazy good time there. It was amazing. And it was awesome, and it probably still is awesome today. I haven't been there for years. That experience right there at the Deanna Rose Petting Zoo is my total experience around sheep in my life right there. So I'm an expert. And so I did a little background and found a few fun facts for us today. First of all, for sheep, they have a vision field of between 270 and 320 degrees. Thus, they can literally see what's behind them almost at all times. They have very poor depth perception so they can easily be tripped up. They are flocking animals that they want to be with other sheep whenever they can. They hate isolation. They have a natural inclination to follow the leader. And usually it's just the first one in their flock to move. There is no alpha male. There is no person that typically, or sheep that takes the lead. It's just whoever moves first will follow them. They are food driven and thus they are often put their head down and eat and eat and eat and have no idea where they're going. They're relatively stupid. Have you ever seen a trained sheep? Anybody ever seen a trained sheep? Neither have I. Now, I would never say this to a sheep's face. The reality is their IQ is just a little bit on par with cattle, but a little bit below pigs. They have very little means of defense. The only thing they have is to flee. So it's literally just run, forest, run. That's all they got. They require endless attention, and sheep are very dirty animals. 
with the really, the only way in which they can be cleaned is through the rain. I know the last few make it sound like I'm describing many characteristics of a middle schooler today, but trust me, they're sheep. And a shepherd. A shepherd is responsible to tend, protect, and provide and guide for his sheep. The life of a typical shepherd is 24-7, 365, of where that is their complete responsibility to care for, protect, watch out, everything. In Near Eastern cultures, where David wrote this, often it was a youngest son's responsibility or even an orphan's responsibility to care for sheep. And it's interesting today that in Australia and New Zealand, shepherds push their sheep from behind But in Israel, in David's day, and even today, a shepherd leads out front and calls their sheep. And the sheep know his name. You ever heard that before? Yeah. So back to the text. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. David doesn't make this psalm anecdotal. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. Rather, he makes it personal. He is cleared. The Lord is his shepherd. David, from the beginning, is defining this relationship. The Lord is his 24-7, 365 leader, protector, provider. He is his everything. David says it up front. It's interesting, too, for me that David refers to himself in this psalm as a sheep. Most of the time, if I'm telling a story... I'm the hero of the story. You ever, you do that, right? I mean, if you're ever going to tell a story, you want to tell the story there that you're the hero, right? There were three seconds left. I was dribbling up the court. I shot from half court. Me and Steph Curry, swish, made it, we won, right? Or we closed the deal. I was the one that sealed it. I was the one who made it happen. I just want to tell you about it. Or... My wife is losing her mind with the kids, and then I, as the dad, step in, and all things get great again, right? That's the way we typically tell a story. We're the hero, but not David. Not David. He writes this song, this poem, and he says, the Lord, he's the man. And me, I'm nothing. I'm nothing but a dumb old sheep that can't take care of themselves and will follow after the dumbest thing. That sheep, yep, that is me. David continues because of that relationship that the Lord is his shepherd. And he says, I have all I need. I can imagine that there were things that David would have wanted as a shepherd. On a hot day, David would have probably liked some ice cream. Can I get an amen on that one right there? Yeah? Yeah. On a rainy day, he would have probably wanted an indoor job, right? On a cold day, he would have wanted an extra blanket. On a lonely day, I imagine he would have wanted a friend. But David says, because of Jesus, I'm good. I'm good. We live in a world that tells us that we are discontent. Some of the brightest minds make millions of dollars trying to convince us of two things, right? You are discontent, or you should be. And secondly, contentment is just one simple purchase away, right? You turn on the television and thousands of products yell, use me, buy me, eat me, wear me, try me, drive me, put me in your hair, do whatever. You will be happy when you do. You'll be happy if you have a bigger house, a newer car, higher income, whiter teeth, better clothes, fresher breath, a sleeker body. You know? (laughs) 
But, La- but David, who literally had nothing, says that as long as he had a relationship with the Lord, he's good. That's all he needed. Are you a, with God, I'm good type of person? Or are you a, with God and I'm good type of person? David goes on. He says that his shepherd, he says, he lets me rest in green meadows. Very, very practical question. How do you sleep at nights? How are you sleeping? Philip Keller, a real-life shepherd, wrote a book about the 23rd Psalm, and he says that sheep need four things before they can lie down and rest. He says that sheep are very timid creatures, and literally a rabbit could cause a stampede. They will not rest until they are free from fear. Second, he says, they're very social creatures, as we talked about, and they will not rest if there is tension with other sheep. So therefore, they have to be free from friction. Third, he says, sheep will not lie down if they feel like they need to find food. They need to be free from hunger. And fourth, they won't rest or lie down if they are tormented by flies or parasites. They need to be free from pests. Oh, and another odd thing about sheep, they sometimes refuse to rest even when they're tired. I'm glad we don't have that problem here today with us, right? David goes on. He leads me besides peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. And all of this brings honor to his name. But it doesn't stop there for David. This relationship is so special because even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemy. David felt as though that he could literally sit down with his arch enemy at a table and he would be okay because the Lord was with him. He says, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. In our day, basic hospitality is like you go to the door, you say hello, you take a coat if it's cold out, and you offer them a a glass of water, right? That's hospitality in our day. And if you have teenage kids and their teenagers are coming home or over, you basically are just like waving at them at the door, right? You know, it's like, hey, yeah, I got you. Okay, good. Okay, I got you. But in Near Eastern times, it was the responsibility, the expectation of the host to provide someone to wash your feet, to clean the dust off of the road for you. Again, sandal-laden country, one in which it was arid, in which dust would often accumulate. And you know when you go to the lake and you get a little stuff in between your toes? And it just kind of... That was what culture was like there. And so the expectation was really one of a hygienic value. When you would come in, somebody would greet you, and typically a servant would wash your feet. 
And there are many reasons because of the way they inclined at the table and because they didn't want to smell you all of the day. But it was very unique to be in a home of which somebody would take out the precious perfume, the oil of their home, and anoint somebody's head. You see, that was something that was done for only the very best, the very most important guests that were there. You see, perfume in that day would have been very expensive, typically a month to two to three months of wages. And they would only use it for very special occasions, you know, a little bit before you go out to the wedding, you know, or a very special dinner or a very special event. And oftentimes, that perfume would be yours for life. That's how precious it was. And so David says, though, He anoints my head with oil. Are you picking up what David's throwing down here? David says that the Lord treats his sheep like they are kings. Like they're the most important person in the room. This dumb and forever stumbling, not able to protect themselves type of person, prone to wandering sheep, the Lord treats them like kings. David goes on. He says, my cup overflows with blessing. The Bible uses the word cup metaphorically, as it does here, to refer to one's lot in life, one's circumstances, or even one's final destiny. Your cup. David says, my cup, my life, my situation, I have it beyond good. I got it beyond good. It's amazing how good I've got it. And I don't deserve anything good, but what you have given me, I didn't deserve, but you've given me blessing and goodness and mercy and compassion and favor. You've done all that. And he just didn't fill up David's cup halfway. It says here, his cup, what? Overflows. The Lord kept pouring out and pouring out and pouring out well beyond what was ever deserved. And then David finishes because you've been so good to me, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will ha- live in the house of the Lord forever. David closes this psalm by declaring God's faithfulness through every day and through eternity. He is telling everyone who ever hears these words that you can count on the Lord not only today, but every day. You feel me? There are very few things in this life that we can really count on. Our health may fail us. Our money may run out. People that we love might forsake us and backstab us. But you can take this to the bank. You can count on God. Can I get a right on on that one? Right on. I didn't put this in your notes, but... What the good shepherd's promises are? Provision, that you will have all that you need. Peace, that you will rest from a weary journey. Protection, that you will have safety from your enemies. Providence, because you will have guidance along a confusing time. Presence, you will have a companion all the way. And paradise, you will have a home waiting for you in heaven. That's what this psalm provides and tells everybody who would follow after Jesus. And what is interesting is that we all have someone or something that is guiding our lives, right? 
the approval of others? You ever done anything for the approval of others? Your own gut instinct? Our own desires? Has fear ever driven you? Made you make a decision? We all have a shepherd. Thus, the question of the day is, who is your shepherd? Right? We all have a shepherd. But the question is, who is your shepherd? Ray Stedman wrote, there are only really two options in life. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not be in want. But if I am in want, then it is obvious that the Lord is not my shepherd. It is that simple. Paraphrasing John Stott, a Christ follower cannot read or sing the psalm without thinking of Jesus Christ. John 10.10 said, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Hebrews 13.20 says that Jesus is not only a good shepherd, but a great shepherd. 1 Peter 5.4 says that he is the chief shepherd. So a little question for us today. How would you answer this? The Lord is blank shepherd. Is he a shepherd? He's a good path. There are many options and paths, and he's a good one. He's a good one. Or is he their shepherd? I got drug here. It was Father's Day. I had to come. Or I come here with a family. But this Jesus thing is really their thing. You know, I want the kids to grow up in, in kind of church, and I want them to have a place. It's their thing. Or can you say, he's my shepherd? I know we want to aspirationally probably say in a room like this, that last one. Or we know the right answer, right? The right answer. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. Those are the answers, right? In church, you say those three, you're right 90% of the time, okay? If Scott ever asks you a question, unless it's up here with a bell and a mixtape, the answer is Jesus, God, or Holy Spirit. You'll be good, right? So let's ask it in a little bit different way. On a piece of paper you have with your notes, the first question, do I feel empty? Yes or no? Don't tell me how you want to answer it. Tell me what's really happening. Second, Do I consistently feel dissatisfied? Am I always wanting something more? Third, do I feel like I'm trying to figure out life on my own? Do I feel lost? Do I have a purpose? Is my life filled with worry and anxiety?
And in tough times, do I have anyone or anything that will carry me through? There really only are two options in life. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. But if I'm in want, then it's obvious that the Lord is not my shepherd. So the question is, is Jesus your shepherd? If not, then take a step today. In the Bible, Isaiah 53 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us in here have gone astray. Today, ask him to be your shepherd. But if he is your shepherd, then this psalm, every time we hear it at a funeral, before a game, maybe reading it, should do nothing but remind us that the central lesson of being a sheep is to stay close to the shepherd. Right on? Right on. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, thank you for meeting us here, Lord, and thank you for this psalm that David wrote it just screams out your name, Lord, and how good you have been to us. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you're our shepherd. You're the best, Jesus. Amen.